one. Would you like to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians? We're in the last few verses of chapter 3 today. Philippians 3, reading from verses 17 through to verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let us pray. Father, these words this morning are not just the words of men. This is indeed your word, the word of God, the living word, that is able to divide even to down to, uh, to joint and marrow, to pierce down into the deepest uh, recesses of our beings, to convict us in our hearts of the truth of God in our and uh, Lord to and through the power of your spirit working in us to bring us to con, uh, to into conformity with the word of God in our lives Lord the uh, the writer James writes that we should not just be hearers of the word but we should be doers also help us to apply this word to our lives today that we may indeed put it into practice and every minute of every day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's an old adage that uh, goes along the lines of this. It says, behaviour is often more caught than taught. You ever heard that before? Some of you? There's a few nods of heads out there. Behaviour is often more caught than taught. In other words, many people often learn uh, through practical example, or more through practical example than they do through verbal or written instruction. This is the gist of Paul's uh, exhortation here, actually, in these verses in Philippians 3, 17 to 21. You know, Paul has been speaking about his desire to grow in his own relationship with Jesus, but he also has been writing to the uh, Christians there in, the, in this, this place called Philippi, in first century uh, Philippi. It's a Roman colony. There's a number of believers who are living in that particular colony, and Paul is writing to them because he wants them to grow in their knowledge, their understanding, and their love for Jesus to become more and more like Jesus in their lives. For Paul, his desire is not only for himself, but for them to become more mature followers of Jesus, that they might experience in their own lives a greater depth of of the transformational power of Christ in their lives, that they might see even greater victory over sin in their lives. He goes along, you know, he, Paul emphasizes a lot that he would love to see each of these people, including himself, become more and more like Jesus. 
that as they, as they interact with one another, as they serve one another, as they work in their communities, as they live in their communities, that people will be able to look at them and see the characteristics of Christ, the person of Christ, shining forth from their lives. Of course, that's what uh, we are called to be today as Jesus' followers. We are called to be those models of Christ to those people around about us, that Christ would shine his light in us and then through us to those around about us. You know, in verses 12 to 16, Paul goes on to, to make clear that, you know, he's not yet become perfect in this. I think we can all relate to that, can't we? We've still got a long way to go. But Paul, though, is intent on pressing on, though, in this goal. That past failures for Paul are not going to discourage him. And past victories are not going to give him a false sense of pride. But instead, he's going to fix his gaze on Christ, on what lies ahead, and he's going to exert all his energies toward living for God and pleasing him. And in these verses that we're looking at today, Paul is going to invite his readers and also he's going to invite us as Christ followers to join him in this journey and show us how we can discover a joy that comes from being that spiritually minded person like Paul himself is. And so this morning as we look through this passage, we're going to just focus on three key points and they're all focused around this, this joy that's discovered through having this spiritual mindset. And the first is this, the spiritually minded person discovers joy in following godly examples. We see that in verse 17 of our passage this morning. Having told his audience of his own convictions regarding his faith in Christ and of his desires and his plans to keep following Jesus as his example, that, uh, that Paul now urges his readers to follow his own example in following Christ. Look at verse 17, the first part of that. It says, he says, brothers, and of course sisters as well. We, Paul is inclusively, that word brothers is the word brethren. It's, it's that, 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 uh, that uh, wanting to really associate so intimately and closely with the followers of Christ. He says, brothers or brethren, join in imitating me. Join in imitating me. Of course, Paul writes something similar to the believers in Corinth, where he says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Of course, Paul is just not saying, you know, look, follow me in my example and just, you know, kind of be like me. Paul's not holding himself up necessarily, but he wants, to, wants others to look at him as Paul follows Christ. Christ is our ultimate example. But as, as Paul follows him, Paul invites his, these believers to, to follow his example in that. What Paul's saying here is if you want to know how you should live as a follower of Jesus and to grow more in Christ-likeness, then copy me. Copy my way of life. It's a pretty bold kind of statement, isn't it? Yeah. Because the thing we need to keep in mind here, though, is that Paul is not kind of trying to put himself up on this pedestal, saying that he's perfect in the way that he follows Jesus. We've already heard that Paul said that he's certainly not perfect in that. He's still got a long way to go in that. But what he is saying is this. He's saying, as I, that is Paul, as I press on in my journey towards that goal of Christ-likeness, then follow me in that example. Of course, when it comes to living the Christian life, what we need is someone who can model the way for us, don't we? Who can show us that process. 
Things like how to deal with temptation in our lives, how to deal with the struggles and the pressures of life, how to deal with disappointment, how to deal with trials, how to deal with selfishness, how to deal with opposition, how to deal with things like anger and bitterness and lust and those kind of things that we, that we all battle with from time to time in our lives. One commentator speaking gives us, us or, you know, with this in mind, gives an example of someone who climbing a mountain. I don't know if there's any mountain climbers amongst us, but you know the climber, the person climbing the mountain, doesn't need someone who's been kind of deposited at the top of the mountain by helicopter there, singing from the top. It's okay, keep going, you can make it. I mean, it's nice to have that kind of encouragement, but what the climber would prefer more than that is to have someone who goes just ahead of him, who's already traversed that path ahead, showing him where to put his hands and where to put his feet, of where to, where to, where's the good places to anchor the ropes so that you know, they don't pull out and, 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 the, and they fall to their deaths. Someone who's, who's able to point out the potential dangers on the path. Paul is saying, I'm that man. Follow me as I follow Christ. He's not saying he's the perfect model, but he's someone who is moving in that right direction towards Jesus. But Paul doesn't limit the example just to himself either. He says in the second half of verse 17, he says, And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, what what Paul's pointing out here is that our task in seeking to become mature followers of Jesus, or in that task, we should also look to imitate those around us who themselves have that trajectory of their lives aimed at Christ and his example. Back in chapter 2, Paul held up a couple of examples in Timothy and Epaphroditus. We looked at those a few weeks ago. The writer of Hebrews says that we should look to imitate the faith of godly leaders around about us. Hebrews 13:7 says, "Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith." <clears throat> Whose example are you following at the moment? Who are the people that you look to, those people who, who have as that, that trajectory of their lives, you know, looking towards Jesus and seeking to follow him wholeheartedly and with an earnestness and with, and with a dedication and a devotion? Who are the people around about you that you're looking to follow in that, in their example? Whose life are you seeking to imitate? Is that person leading you in the right direction towards Christ-likeness. But then again, what about your own lives? What about each of us? I mean, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, what kind of example are we setting to those around about us? You know, each of us here in this, in this community of believers here, what we call North Pine Baptist Church, we've all got a responsibility to one another to be seeking to live that Christ-like life because it's not an individual life, is it? It's not about just living our own lives for Jesus, but it's about us being examples and role models to those around about us. We've got Father's Day today. Dads, you know, how are you setting the example for your families, for your children, of what it means to be a, a true follower of Jesus? Is your life on that, on that, that trajectory towards Christ? Is that where you're aiming for? 
Or are there other things that have come in and and clouded out that and and have taken away your heart and your devotion away from from Christ and you're instead looking towards other things? And that's the emotion, that's where your devotion and everything is really uh, gathered, gathered towards. I think one of the, the sad parts about Christianity in it, and particularly in the Western world today is it's become such an individualistic thing. When God called us, when God saved us, he called us into a family, his family, the church, that we might live and grow together, that we might encourage each other and spur one another on in that. If you think that your Christian life is just about you and Jesus, you're sadly mistaken. Jesus has got much grander plans than that. Much, much greater plans than that for you. In his book, From the Resurrection to His Return, Living Faithfully in the Last Days, D.A. Carson writes writes this. He says, Do you ever say to uh, 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 another Christian, or particularly to maybe a younger Christian, do you want to know what Christianity is like? Then watch me. Have you ever said that? I think many of us would think, oh, goodness me, I wouldn't want anyone following my example. But it's interesting because Carson says, if you have never done that or if you never do that, then you are unbiblical. Whoa. What? Unbiblical? Yes. Because Christ has called us into a body. And we're meant to model Jesus to those around about us. He tells the story of a guy called Dave Ward. D.A. Carson, when he was at, uh, when he was at university, he was a, uh, an undergraduate there, and he and another mate of his, they sort of uh, started up a Bible study in their dormitory room. Uh, one evening or a couple of evenings a week and they would get people coming along and they'd be sort of working through books of the Bible together and, and D.A. Carson at that stage he, uh, he said I didn't really have a lot of knowledge and so there are some things which some of these uh, students were asking me which I just didn't have an answer for but he knew that there was a graduate student in the college his name was Dave, Dave Ward and he said I, I could take these people to him and get him to tell them and so one night he takes a couple of these, these guys along to Dave Ward's dormitory room and they sit down and uh, Dave Ward, the, uh, this graduate student, says to them, he says, he says to the first guy, he said, so why are you here? And the guy says, oh, he said, I want to know, you know, sort of a little bit more about Christianity. I'm kind of looking in all, all the different world religions and all that sort of thing and I'm sort of you know, exploring a bit of Buddhism and a bit of Hinduism and a bit of this and a bit of that. And uh, Dave Ward says... Okay, he says, well, you're wasting my time. That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? You're wasting my time. But he says, I'll tell you, you know, I can give you books about Christianity and what, and what it is and all that sort of thing. I can tell you how it kind of fits into to, you know, the world and stuff like that. He said, but in reality, I'm a graduate student. Of, my time is precious. I haven't got time just to sit down and have conversations with someone who's just wanting to know, you know, a bit about all this sort of stuff. Then he says to the next guy, he says, why are you here? Well, after that kind of comment, you think, whoa, okay. Well, this other guy says to him, he says, well, he says, I've been part of a Christian family for years. He said, you might actually, he says, your kind of people call us liberals. 
He said, you know, we've, we've served God, we've, we've gone to church, you know, we've, uh, we're, we're good people, we've done good things in the community and that sort of stuff. He says, I want to know what you've got that we haven't got. And Dave Ward sort of stares at this guy for, for probably a couple of minutes. And then he says, watch me. He says, watch me. He said, come, he said, there's a spare bed in my dormitory, move in with me. He said, I'll pay, you, I'll pay for your food. You come in, you watch my way of life. You watch you know, how I interact with people. You watch you know, how I, uh, you know, how I uh, go about um, looking at, uh, let, me, let me read it to you here. He says, you watch me, watch when I get up, watch when I interact with people, what I say, what moves me, what I live for, what I want in life. You watch me for the rest of the semester and then you tell me at the end of the semester whether or not there's any difference. Well, that guy didn't take up Dave Ward on his offer, literally. But from that point on, he did begin to watch him and meet with him. And over time, the Lord Jesus drew him to himself. And that man's life was completely transformed and changed. And now he's serving as a medical missionary in, uh, in, uh, in the uh, poorest parts of the world. Carson writes, You who are older should be looking out for younger people and saying, in effect, watch me. Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, people who are in their more senior years, you know, doing this with younger people. I'm talking about those, all of us. All of us are older than someone, aren't we? Apart if, you know, you're only about, you know, this high. But we're all older than somebody. We can all say to those younger than us, watch me. Let me show you, how, you know, what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Watch me learn how to be a Christian husband and father. Look at me learn how to be a Christian wife and mother. Look at me learn how to be a Christian young person or teenager living in today's society. Look at me, watch me. Each of us can say that. In fact, Carson lays down this challenge. He says, at a certain point in life, that older mentor should be saying other things such as, let me show you how to live for God in your retirement years. I've showed you how to live well. Let me also show you how to endure suffering well. And let me show you even how to die well. We don't often think about that, do we? As a Christian, how to set the example to others of how even to die well, to end our lives well. That's what mentoring is all about, folks. It's about living the Christian life journey together and sharing our experience and our wisdom with the Holy Spirit's enabling and equipping. Who is it that you are seeking to influence for Jesus and asking to imitate you on that journey towards Christ. Well, that was a fairly long point. That one, the next couple of points are a bit shorter. The spiritually minded person also discovers joy when they are not anchored to earthly pleasures. We see that in verses 18 to 19. Because if Christian discipleship is often more caught than taught, then so is ungodliness. Because Paul goes on to speak about the wrong kind of role models, those we should not imitate in verses 18 to 19. Let me read it to you. For Paul says this, 
He says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul here refers to these people as enemies of the cross of Christ. Some commentators take it that Paul is referring to, to those outside of the church here, but uh, I, I think that that's not the case. I think if, if that was the case, then why would Paul be telling them, you know, you shouldn't be imitating those people? It just doesn't make any sense in the context that Paul is referring to here. What would make more sense is that Paul, in this passage, is seeking to understand these enemies as, as people who have actually made some kind of profession of faith and, and who may be you know, in the church and within the, the community of the church, and yet they are people who are living in a way that denies the importance or the significance and the purpose of Christ's death and resurrection. They were what we might call as false teachers, but also people who were living falsely in their lives. They were enemies of the cross because they perverted the gospel, either by seeking to add to it through legalism. We saw that uh, the, the other week with the, with the Judaizers, those who said you know, that salvation was faith in Jesus Christ, plus you know, following all the Jewish religious rules. But it also, Paul could also be referring to not just uh, people who add stuff to the gospel, but those who deny the gospel through their lifestyle of sin. Their way of life is causing others to stumble in the faith and even to reject it altogether. Of course, Paul says you can tell the character or you can tell the, who these enemies are by the character of their lives. You know, Jesus says you can tell uh, kind of what kind of tree it is by the fruit of their lives. You can tell what kind of people people are by the fruit of their lives, the, the characteristics, the things which they you know, hold dear to their lives and the things which kind of guide their lives, the things that result from their lives. Paul says here, these particular enemies, their God is their belly, their stomach, and they glory in their shame, meaning they're controlled by their passions and their desires and their worldly appetites. They call evil good and they take pride in their sinful behaviour. Paul says, you know, really when it comes down to it, they really have their minds set on earthly things rather than heavenly things, rather than godly things. They live for the here and the now. Of course, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 verses 19 to 24 speaks about this where he warns that we should not store up for ourselves earthly treasures. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust you know, eat away and, 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 and corrode and corrupt and where thieves come in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he says. And he goes on to say in that passage that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts are captivated by that which we hold dear. And the things we hold dear are often viewed firstly through our eyes. So where, where is our focus? What are our eyes focused on? Are our eyes, you know, are they transfixed on the things of Christ and on, on his kingdom and his ways? Or are they fixed on earthly things and on worldly principles and on worldly values? 
And Christ finishes that passage by saying, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. You will either love one and hate the other or vice versa. Paul says that he sheds tears for these people because he knows that their end is destruction. In other words, their lives in this world ultimately will leave them you know, completely uh, destitute, completely bankrupt in their spirits and in their souls. But Paul is speaking even farther beyond that. He's saying that because these people follow this way in their lives, they're following that trajectory of the world rather than that trajectory of Christ that ultimately will lead them away from eternal life in Christ. And sadly, Paul says that these people are many. Do you see that? They are many, not just few. And they are found in every church. They're found in every church. And Paul says they are not to be imitated in any way, shape, or form. As a challenge. Even amongst our own number. Paul says, we will find these people. The spiritually minded person discovers joy when they, when, in, in, they, in following godly examples. The spiritually minded person discovers joy when they're not anchored to earthly pleasures. And the spiritually minded person discovers joy when they remember where and to whom they belong. We see that in verse 20 and 21 of our passage this morning. But Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, in contrast to these people who are anchored in the world and in its pleasures and practices, the mature Christ follower is to remember that their citizenship is in heaven. Paul, yes, is speaking here of our eternal destination, but he's also speaking to, to us about the fact that this is who we are now. In the here and now, in, in, in the lives which we live, we are indeed citizens of heaven. Peter refers to us as, as aliens, strangers in this world. Do we consider ourselves as followers of Christ? Do we consider ourselves as, as aliens in this world in which we live? That we are strangers just passing through on our way to our heavenly destination where our citizenship truly is? Is that how you picture yourself? Folks, we need, to, we need to do that because that in itself will help us to live those lives on that trajectory towards Christ if we know that that is where we truly belong and Jesus is the one to whom we truly belong to. Our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to one day return to earth from heaven to finally glorify his people by giving them these wonderful resurrection bodies, bodies designed for his eternal kingdom. And I know there are many of you just longing for those bodies right now. Amen. And it's at this point that ultimately the fullness of our salvation in Christ will be experienced. And the true picture and identity of who we are will finally be revealed. 
Oh, what a day to look forward to. This is the joyful hope we have. And so we are to live in the light of the knowledge of this. Living together in obedience to our King, Jesus. Being examples to one another and encouraging one another in that faith. Reminding ourselves afresh of the saying, we're not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. We are children of the King of Kings. Stephen Lawson in his commentary writes here on this, on this particular passage, he says, We must never forget that each of us who name Jesus as King is a citizen of a higher kingdom. This world is not our home. But as we live out our days here on earth... We must maintain our greater allegiance to our sovereign Lord, who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. We must never cave in to the surrounding pressures to squeeze us into the mould of this rebellious world. But instead, we must set our minds on things above, not on things below. We are heading for the finish line we are heading for home. We are heading for home. Have you ever been on a on a driving journey? You know, you sort of, or you've been overseas, or wherever you've been, you've been away on holidays, and you know it's, it's been it's been lovely. You know, doing all the touristy bits and all that sort of stuff. But you've got, but you you sort of get to the end of your journey and you're headed for home. You know that last leg of the journey, and you think, I just can't wait to get there. You know, I just can't wait to be in my home again. You know, in that comfortable bed that I know so well, in those comfortable and secure surroundings. That kind of feeling, that's the kind of feeling we need to have when it comes to heaven, folks. But it won't just be the comfortable bed and the nice surroundings and that sort of stuff that we'll be waiting for. It will be the fact that we will there one day see Jesus. Do you long for that? Are you really wanting to see Jesus? Or is it just the stuff of heaven you're looking for, forward to? Because if, if it's just the stuff of heaven, then you've missed the point. It's Jesus. Oh, if Jesus would just capture our hearts like that. My prayer just recently has been, Lord Jesus, please capture my heart afresh with that vision of you. that I might just be so in love with you, Jesus, beyond anything else. Now, as a, as a husband and a dad, I'm so in love with my wife and my kids. And they mean the world to me. But I pray that Jesus will mean far more than even my wife and my children will. That I love Jesus that much. And each of us should have that same desire in our hearts that we would love Jesus that much. Because when we love Jesus that much, then the, the natural consequence of that, the natural trajectory of our lives will then be towards the one we love, won't it? Because that's where our gaze will be fixed. That's where our hearts will be anchored to. Jesus. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, the desire of, I think, many of our hearts, if not all the hearts in this room, is that we would know joy in our lives, a true and deep and lasting joy. And your word tells us that it is that that kind of joy can only be found in a person, and that person is Jesus. And today, Lord, we are seeking after that joy. But for many of us, we are seeking after it in all the wrong places. Lord, we are seeking after that joy, thinking that it can be found in earthly pleasures. But it cannot. It can only be found in you. Yes, we can experience lots of blessings and good things here on this earth. But ultimately, those things will lead us, leave us empty if we don't recognise that all of these things are just a glimpse of the joy that is found in you. Lord Jesus, we've been praying today that, that we would be looking to those around about us who perhaps you know they they they're examples of the people who have that kind of joy in their hearts that joy of you in their hearts and in their lives and whose lives are are very much you know on that journey towards you although imperfectly lord lead us to those people show us those people that we might follow in their footsteps towards christ but Lord, also help us to be those kind of people that others can look to. That together, collectively, we might all be looking to journey towards Jesus and we can say to one another, watch me. Follow my example as I journey towards Christ. Lord Jesus, what a beautiful church we would be if that was the case. What glory would be yours. May it be so. Amen.